no one's going to go undefeated in, in the National Football League. And every team has some warts at times, you know, and sometimes you just, the other team gets you. You know, it doesn't matter what your record is. If it's the National Football League. That's what makes it so great. I just think that with 10 games left, the next four games, there's going to be separation. You're going to fi- figure out who those best teams are in the next month of football. It's time for our weekly visit with the Hall of Famer, John McClain. From Sports Radio 610, right now on Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Coming in, you heard the voice of Herm Edwards from ESPN. That was following Monday Night Football last night on my show, actually, game night. And I was talking about the fact that the Lions, it got beat by the Ravens pretty badly. And obviously the 49ers got beat by Minnesota, and they've lost two in a row. So he was just talking about uh, there's going to be some separation you're going to see in the next few weeks across the National Football League. We're kicking off hour number two of the show, and we are joined by the Hall of Famer John McClain from Sports Radio 610 in Houston. And, John, before we get into NFL, i got to ask you about those Astros. They lost game seven. You mentioned it. They couldn't win at home. What did you think of the way that the season wrapped up from Houston? When you think about all the hardships they had, losing Jordan Alvarez, 49 games, Jose Altuve, 70 games, never had Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia, won 15 games last year, was gone except for two weeks all season with Tommy John. To get to the seventh game was quite an achievement. On the other hand, Q, all they had to do was win one stinking game at home out of the last two, and they couldn't do it. Not only could they not do it, they got hammered by the Rangers. The Rangers are built to last. This rivalry is through the roof. Mariners should get better. The AL West should be so competitive in the future. Dusty Baker's story in the Athletic said he's planning to walk away, but left open that he can change his mind. So that's been getting a lot of talk here, and if he goes... Who would take his place? Their general manager, Dana Brown, has been on the job about three-fourths of a year. You know GMs want certain people. And what do you get to make the hire? Would the owner, Jim Crane, do it because he's very active? But next year, I fully expect them to be back trying to add an eighth consecutive season onto their dynasty. It's quite an achievement to be the only, only American League team in history to reach the ALCS seven seasons in a row. Yeah, that's impressive. It really is. And, of course, they didn't punch their ticket to the World Series. The Rangers did that. But Jose Altuve continues to be one of the most clutch hitters in baseball. How stinking good is that guy? He's been that way for years. I think all the booing he receives, even though it was proved he was not involved in the cheating, I think it makes him better. This season, Q, not only was a 20, over 20 games, um, over 500 on the road, Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker all hit substantially better on the road where they get booed at every at-bat. And Altuve, because he's the leadoff hitter, and I think because he is so good, he gets most of the boos, and he thrives on it. He does. He is fantastic. I love watching Jose Altuve play. I'm not mad at the Rangers. I'm, I'm happy for Bruce Bochy, but I'm a big Dusty Baker fan as well. Again, John McClain is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Well, we're through seven weeks. It's in the books. We saw the Eagles beat the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. We saw Kansas City win six games in a row after dropping the first game of the season. The 49ers have lost two in a row. What have we learned about the NFL through seven weeks, John? 
we've learned that Kansas City might be led by its defense rather than its offense. Steve Spagnuolo's defense has been great. And, of course, we know Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are going to be tremendous. I think it's interesting the stats they put up about how much more productive Kelsey has been when Taylor Swift is at the game. <laughs> and they put his stats up when she's not. He's been mediocre. So the idea would be keep her away if you're an opposing team and she wants to come. I say no. Don't let her in the stadium. <laughs> and right now, those two are great. And I, I tell you, Miami, the teams that Miami's beaten, I think, have won a total of eight games. They've been blown out by the Bills, another team that's hard to figure. Then they lose that one to Philly, no shame in that. And I think we've talked about this before, Q. When the weather gets bad, and that just doesn't mean snow. It means wind and cold weather. You know, that's a team from South Florida. You know, is that passing game going to be as productive when the conditions are worse in November, December, and, of course, January? And I thought two weeks ago, 49ers are the best team, and and uh, Brock Purdy was the leading candidate for MVP. Last week, I thought Detroit was the best team <laughs> in the NFC. And right now, I'm feeling real good about my preseason Super Bowl pick of the Baltimore Ravens. Man, the Baltimore Ravens, they put it on the Detroit Lions. They really did and kind of showed that what everyone had hyped up before the season started when it came to Todd Monken and this new offense. John, we saw it. If it's clicking, that's what it could look like, and it could really be a dangerous offense. I think he needed to learn his players. The players needed to learn him and exactly what he's looking for. And I watched that game. Texans were off, and it was spectacular. Not just the way Lamar Jackson played, but some of the calls, the routes. It was very creative, and that's what they were hoping for. And if Jackson can keep it up, he'll be the leading candidate to be voted MVP for the second time. The key for Lamar Jackson, he's only won one playoff game in his career, and he needs to prove that he can win in the playoffs. And if he plays like the way he did Sunday, my goodness, uh, he was fantastic. John McClain is our guest from Sports Radio 610 here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. As I mentioned, the Vikings topped the 49ers on Monday Night Football. They're now 3-4, and four, John. How did that win that the Vikings had on, uh, over San Francisco change their approach to the trade deadline? Does that do anything for them one way or the other? Well, I've never thought, despite speculation, that they would trade Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. He would be, he'd be like baseball. You get him and you rent him and then he's gone. And I think that he played really well last night. He hadn't played well in a lot of situations like that. And uh, I think in that division, it's it's terrible other than Detroit. But, you know, everybody's looking at a wild card. And if the Lions don't bounce back from where they were in this game, they're going to be in trouble. It's interesting. Last week, according to Vegas, Dan Campbell, leading candidate for coach to year, Mike McDaniel, number two, Domenico Ryan's number three. I wonder with Campbell and McDaniel being defeated decisively and Domenico Ryan's on a bye week if he's now number one. (laughs) 
Right. See how that works? <laughs> Don't even do anything, and you kind of move up the rankings. I could easily, I could easily see that happening. D'Amico Ryans has done a hell of a job so far in Houston, his first year there with C.J. Stroud as a rookie quarterback. So the rest of the trade deadline, it comes up on Halloween next Tuesday. By the time we talk again, it'll already have passed. Do you expect it to be pretty aggressive this year, or do you think it's going to kind of, kind of be slow? I think it's going to be aggressive. I think when they, ever since they added extra playoff teams and it put more teams in the running, kept more fan bases exciting, excited through most of the season, teams want to try to make moves. Philadelphia already did one yesterday, mm-hmm. traded for Tennessee safety Kevin Byard, who has not played as well the last two seasons, wanted to go. They told him they're going to trade him. They did. Did him a big favor, sending him to a Super Bowl contender at 30, and that's what they were looking for, somebody to help their secondary. So I think we'll see more moves like that. Some guys whose contracts are up and they're playing for losing teams. Also, Q, nobody's going to say this, of course, when you're going to have a draft that's supposed to be so talented and deep at quarterback, you can't tank and just not play players on your team who are helping, but if you trade them, you won't have a choice not to play, all right? <laughs> right. No, there's, that's no doubt. And there is a lot of quarterbacks coming up in this draft that a lot of teams will be interested in. As far as the Tennessee Titans go, you talk about the first uh, move that they made with Bayard. He's off his way on his way to Philadelphia. Do you expect them to make any more moves like Derrick Henry, who's been reported a lot, could be on the way out? Derrick Henry is 30, or he's going to be 30, and their offensive line is terrible. And they, they live and die on how he runs. They're going to be playing Malik Willis. Then they're going to have to find out if Will Levis can play like second-round pick. They thought he could. They need to look at him because they might be in the running for one of these other quarterbacks. So it's basically going to be a rebuild. And it won't surprise me if they don't trade a couple more players. But you look at that roster, who do they have that teams would want? Right. Uh, Derrick Henry can still run. He's had a couple of hundred-yard games. But his offensive line has been bad. So if I'm a team and I want a guy who can convert on third and two or or fourth and one and still rush for 100 yards on occasion behind a good offensive line, he's a guy who I want. What have you thought about what's going on with Cleveland and Deshaun Watson? He's in, then he's not. He's in, then he's banged up again. And they're winning games. They're still winning because of their defense. What have you thought about Deshaun Watson and what's going on in Cleveland with him? It is amazing when the USF, I mean, the US, uh, XFL was in its second comeback. He was the quarterback here in Houston, and they went undefeated before uh, the plug was pulled. And uh, so we got to see him here. He was exciting. Everybody loved him. Great interview, great with the fans. He bounces around. He hadn't played very well. His ratings terrible, but they're winning. And everybody loves a backup quarterback. Everybody loves an underdog. People don't love a $230 million guaranteed contract quarterback unless he's playing real well. And I know a lot of media fans up there very frustrated with Watson. I think I read this morning, Q, that since he started playing for the Browns, his rating is 81. And he completed one pass to the Browns uh, Sunday and one pass to the Colts and they still were able to pull it out primarily because Miles Garrett has been unbelievable, and he is the leading candidate 
to be defensive player of the year. Not Micah Parsons, they continue to push in Dallas. Miles Garrett has been fantastic. He made big plays. They give up a lot of points. They were fortunate to win. Houston keeps close eye on Cleveland because they have the Browns' number one pick, the third in a row in the trade for Deshaun Watson. So they need the Browns to lose. Yeah, I heard that. And, uh, you know, the Browns are getting it done on the strength of their defense. They're playing really good. And, you know, P.J. Walker as well, like you mentioned, the backup quarterback there in Cleveland. So what about Arizona? They have to make a decision on Kyler Murray sooner rather than later. Their 21-day window opened up last week. What do you think ultimately happens this year with him? Well, what they can have is for him to be injured when the new league year starts in March because I think if – if he's injured, his contract from 2025 is guaranteed. It's already guaranteed for 2024. Remember, Q, Kyler Murray would not have been the first overall pick if Cliff Kingsbury was not the new head coach there. Mm-hmm. He had watched him in the Big 12. He knew that he could run his kind of offense. They'd give him that monster contract, which is going to be really hard to trade him. They're going to have to pick up a lot of it. They're going to have to eat that dead cap. But they've got to do it because if you got a shot at Caleb Williams or Drake May, and if they continue to be the prospect uh, before the draft, at the draft time as they seem to be now, if you got a chance, you got to do it. Because Kyler Murray might help them win just enough games to take them out of the running for one of those quarterbacks. Yeah, he might. He really might. He's coming off that torn ACL, but we'll see what happens with him. I do fully expect him to be somewhere else next year. Just don't know where that actually next place would be. Well, John, the baseball season's over for Houston. Uh, the Texans, they were on their bye, but they're looking pretty good. I'm sure the fans are excited about that. Is anyone excited about the Rockets as NBA gets back to action today? It's interesting because the Rockets have been the worst team in the NBA the last three years. They've been stockpiling number one picks, high number one picks, had two more this year. Steven Silas was the coach, and I felt terrible for what he was given. Well, he was fired. Now they got Emad Doka, who did really well with the Celtics, longtime uh, Greg Popovich. Uh, he was Pop- Popovich is his mentor. And when he was hired, you know, he had some kind of scandal uh, in our office relationship in Boston. And so they let him go. But I, I followed all those NBA experts in the media, former players, and they said it was universally a positive hire. So people here are tired of the Rockets being bad, and they're kind of fired up. And uh, so uh, we're, we're really interested to see what they do in their first season under Adoka. Well, before we let you go, I got one more question. This is from a listener, Sir Whiskey Ray. He said, Q, please ask John if he's a whiskey or a cigar guy. I absolutely love his insight when he comes on the show. I know he's got many great stories since he's been in the sports industry for many years. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. So, cigar or whiskey guy, John? (laughs) Sir Whiskey Ray, I would take whiskey over cigars. I don't smoke. haven't smoked since 1988, but I like a good shot of whiskey. There it is. The great job of claim. Well, what are you working on, John, that we should be on the lookout for? I've got an Astro column on SportsRadio610.com. I wrote after that game last night, trying to put it in perspective. I'm going to have a column tomorrow on SportsRadio610.com of C.J. Stroud nice. and Bryce Young going against each other for the first time. Even though they won't be on the field against each other, it's still a big deal in Charlotte and Houston. No doubt. Well, great work as always, John. We definitely appreciate you. We look forward to talking to you next week. 
Q, I do too. Thank you very much as always. Absolutely. The great John McClain, the Hall of Famer right there. John McClain uh, from Sports Radio 610, longtime columnist for the Houston Chronicle. You can find him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. One of my very, very best friends in this business. A really good dude. He's always looked out for me since I was just a, uh, just a, uh, a side a side hustle guy uh, in Central Texas, man. I wasn't doing a whole lot of anything, but uh, he's always had my back, and I definitely appreciate him uh, and his efforts each and every Tuesday joining us at 3 o'clock. 3.16 is the time. Got some more texts that I want to get to real quick from the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Don't forget, Lincoln Kennedy joins us at 3.30. We'll recap the Raiders' loss to the Bears on Sunday. This is from the 530. Chandler, Jimmy, Hoyer, Bolden, Abdullah, Illuminor, White, Farrell, Butler, uh, B. Brown, all Zig guys, no hits. Jury is still out on Parham and the 23 draft picks, but do we really want Zig to handle the next offseason moves, let alone let alone a move for us this trade deadline? That's from the 5-3-0, and, I mean, there's – there's validation to that. I mean, you know, you're, you're not wrong, right? I mean, you're looking at some of those guys. Uh, I think that you have to take a little bit of time with the draft. I really look at the draft. The free agency, I'll tell you right now, free agency is an absolute crapshoot, right? A lot of times free agency is fool's gold, so I don't worry about, you know, Chandler. I thought Chandler Jones was a great move. Obviously it wasn't. Uh, Jimmy G, we all know my feelings on that when they decided to make the move for him. Hoyer, Bolden, Abdullah, I think Abdullah's been fine. Illuminor, we know the issues with Illuminor. Zamir White, you haven't got anything out of him. Farrell, uh, he's not even with the team anymore. He's in uh, Kansas City. Uh, Butler, you know, there's that, <laughs> right? Uh, and then uh, uh, Britton Brown, he's on, what, injured reserve list? So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot to prove, but – I mean, you can't sit there and where they say, like I said, scare money makes uh, – or where they say study long, study long, and scare money don't make money, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you got to at some point, you know, roll the dice. You know, and if, if you're going to roll the dice and make a move, you got to go make a move uh, for the better of the team. you got to at least attempt to, to make the team better. You just can't sit on your hands and do nothing. So, regardless if you make a move and, and acquire more draft capital right now, uh, then okay, you don't or you do. And then – you know, at the end of the, the year when they get into the draft, someone's going to have to make the decision. And as long as Dave Ziegler's the GM, which I believe he will be, uh, he's going to be the guy to make the call. And I'll tell you, I have a lot of confidence in him. I know you just rattled off all those names. I have a lot of confidence in Dave Ziegler. I really do. Uh, maybe it's his calm demeanor uh, when he talks. He just sounds like he absolutely knows exactly what he wants and what he's aiming to, to do. But that's just me, you know, and, and to have doubts, I can understand because, again, you routed off a bunch of names that haven't overwhelmed and wowed anybody. So uh, thanks so much for that text. I do appreciate you. This one's from East Bay Raider Gray. Trade Jimmy G perhaps to the Jets, get a second-round pick for him. Jimmy has a cheap contract, won't cost another team much. Run with Aiden O'Connell for the rest of the year. Trade Hunter and try to get a fourth or a fifth-rounder for him. He's a 1,000-yard receiver, can handle 100, catch load. Try to get as much draft capital to move up and get a quarterback in. Uh, that's from East Bay, Raider Gray. And it's not uh, a bad a bad theory, not a bad idea. I don't know if if Jimmy G would be a quarterback that anyone wants at this at this stage of the game only because of his availability and the questions about his availability, which is exactly what, you know, uh what we've talked about quite a bit, even leading up to before he was signed, when the rumors were out there and the reports were out there and the speculation was out there that he could be signed. It was always about availability. So you just never know when it comes to that. But um, that's that's a I like I like the breakdown, though. Really good thoughts on it. So definitely uh, thanks for the text. East Bay Raider Gray, we appreciate you. I got another one from Sir Whiskey Ray. Gentlemen, happy open night as the NBA is officially here. Q, I'm digging today's question. 
I don't think the Raiders make a move here. I'm, gonna, I'm going with my gut. Honestly, we need a handful of moves and not just one. I'm just keeping it real as we need help in multiple positions. I just don't see anything getting done at the trade deadline. One thing that sticks out here at the deadline is why haven't we used Renfro here week seven into the season? We failed to use his service. I'm honestly disappointed. On another note, I'm, full, I'm fulfilling my stepdad duties by taking my stepson to tonight's Warriors season opener. I'm excited for the NBA to start as Raider football at the moment has given me a few more gray hairs than what I want. LOL. I'm hoping my Lakers could compete in the loaded West this season. Thanks as always, gentlemen. I appreciate it. That's Sir Whiskey Ray. And really good stuff, man. And enjoy that Warrior game. That's going to be fun. Uh, the Chase Center, I believe that's, that's yeah, it's going to be at the Chase Center, right? That's, it's a home game. That's cool. I wasn't sure if it was a home game or not. Uh, I know that the Nuggets are opening it up with the, with the Lakers, and that's the banner raising for the Denver Nuggets. So there's that. I think that that's going to be cool. The NBA being back, I don't think that I've been as into it in years past, the first day of the season. I remember when the first day of the season was back in November, and now it's, it seems like it kind of creeps up and creeps up and creeps up. Now it's at the very end of October. I haven't been into the beginning of the season like this in a long time, but I'm interested in, you know, uh, Giannis and Dame Lillard, what that looks like. I'm interested in seeing what the Nuggets, if they're able to, you know, run it back and still be that team. I'm interested in seeing the maturation of the Kings, who were a really good team last year. Uh, of course, I'm always rooting for my Warriors, but I feel like, you know, they're an older team, and all they did is go out and get an older player that's injury-prone and Chris Paul, so I don't have a lot of confidence in that. Maybe when he's on the court, he won't. they won't turn the ball over as much as they do, but I don't have a lot of confidence in the Warriors just because of that. Um, and then the Lakers, obviously, you always got to pay attention to the Lakers just to see what LeBron's doing. I saw a timeline earlier today of uh, the 20 years now that he's been in the league, and they had basically his best shots over the past 20 years. It was on ESPN as a feature. And just seeing what this dude's done over his career has just been incredible. Just some of his shots and uh, some of the way he's dominated when he came into the league as a you know a guy straight out of high school, just phenomenal what a career and still to be going at, at his age and that many years in the league I mean you got to tip the cap to him you don't have to be the biggest fan of him but you just got to tip the cap for the longevity that he's been able to have you look at the east you know I already mentioned Milwaukee but can Boston finally be that team I'm not signing up for that I don't trust Christos Porzingis a lot of people are excited about that addition to Boston that's a dude that's always injured that's the Jimmy G of basketball he's always injured I mean it's just simple as that so I don't trust that um, the Philadelphia 76ers definitely don't trust that. Uh, any team that James Harden's on, I'm not believing in them. And I don't know if he's going to get moved. He's away from the team right now. And I don't want to speculate on why he's away from the team. But from what I've been hearing, it's, it's something personal. So I don't want to, you know, be that guy. I don't want to be a jerk because, you know, these guys do have real lives. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes life happens and that sucks. So I don't want to kick somebody while they may be down, whatever he's dealing with. But, when he does get back to the team, I'm interested to see what he actually provides and what he brings to that Sixers team and how long he's in Philadelphia. Um, another team that's been talked about a lot is the Clippers. I pass. You know, no, no disrespect to Gangster Raider. I know he's a Clipper guy, but uh, no, no, I, I pass, right? Those guys got to show that they can stay healthy as well. Kawhi Leonard, he's always banged up. Paul George, he's always banged up. Their head coach is going to be out of there when the season's over. He's going to be one of the most sought-after head coaches in the league. So I don't expect uh, you know, them to do great things in L.A. except for be the Lakers' little brother. right? I mean, it's just simple as that. Again, no disrespect, but that's kind of what it is. They'll always be the Clippers. The Lakers will always be the Lakers. The Lakers don't have to win a game, and they'll still be the Lakers. right? I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. Like, look at the, Knick, the, the Nets and, uh, and the Knicks. The Knicks could be worthless, and the Nets could be awesome. And everyone's going to be like, hey, I'm going to the Knicks game. I want to go to the Knicks game. It, me it means more to go to the Knicks game. It's like going to a Clipper game, right? Hey, you, wanted to go you want tickets to go to the Laker game? Hell yeah. You want tickets to go to the Clipper game? Nah, I'm good. 
<laughs> right? I mean, it just cuts different. Again, no disrespect, but that's just what it is. It's just it's just what it is. Sometimes that's how it's how it's cut. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited now to see what uh, the NBA looks like, like coming back tonight and uh, getting all these games underway, and uh, especially with Denver, just to see if they could be that team, if that was a – a one a one year shot, or if they can actually you know build on that, and uh, and Sacramento too, man. I, I like the talent that they have in Sacramento. I'm not a Kings fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I I do like talent. I can appreciate that young talent that they have. Those are some fun dudes to watch, and they gave my Warriors everything that they can handle, and then some a season ago. So, uh, Sir Whiskey Ray, enjoy that game. Warriors uh, have fun at the Chase Center uh, with your son. I'm sure he'll enjoy that in a major way. Um, also, I got one more text I wanted to get to. Devin in San Diego said, Q, with the exception of trading Hunter, I don't really see a trade that helps the Raiders enough in the short term and makes them better in the long term versus the cost associated with, associated with trading and signing someone. One player isn't going to affect this team enough to matter, unless it's a coach or quarterback, and that doesn't happen in the middle of the season. Stand pat and just let the season go as it goes. As Devin in San Diego, and honestly, that's most likely the best-case scenario. That's probably what's going to end up happening. I do think that, that that loss to Chicago changed the approach. I think that they were in the running for uh, maybe some help on the defensive line, like a Chase Young, like a Montez Sweat, like one of those guys that may be available. But I feel like that that loss really kind of changed the approach that they take to the trade deadline, whereas I feel like the, the Vikings, they changed their approach as well. And their approach is, yeah, let's not sell off any of our players because, well, we still have an opportunity. The only team in front of us is the Detroit Lions, and, well, they're not a team that, that you know, we, we believe is going to be sustainable and hold on to it throughout the course of the season. So they feel like that they might have an opportunity to catch them. Now, can they? I don't know. I don't want to disrespect Detroit. We'll find out a lot about them on Monday as, uh, as the Lions will host the Raiders. Uh, so thanks so much for that text. I appreciate you. Uh, let's go ahead and give something away real quick. 702-365-9200. We've got Lincoln Kennedy coming up at 3.30 to recap that Raiders loss to Chicago. But let's give away two tickets for a comedy show. You want to laugh? It's better to laugh than cry, right? Comedian Theo Vaughn is going to be at Resorts World Theater for two nights, October 27th and 28th. We've got a pair of tickets, so you can go for the 28th. On October 28th, you can go to that show. Two tickets right now. Call number 9, 702-365-9200. Theo Vaughn is the comedian. You're going to see it for free with Radio Nation Radio 920. This podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness on LVSportsNetwork.com is brought to you by Porta Subs. Make sure you check out Porta Subs' six-foot party trays. They're perfect for game days. You'll get your choice of three made-to-order classic subs made with premium meats and cheese on your choice of fresh-baked bread, loaded with fresh veggies, toppings, and sauces. Game day six-foot trays serve 12 to 16 people, so you can sit back and enjoy the game. Available at all Las Vegas-area Porta Subs, neighborhood sandwich shops, order ahead at portasubs.com. When you get your butt kicked in the NFL, it doesn't feel good. But I know we have great leadership and great character and great resolve. And look, they, we have no choice. That's what you do. You know, in this league, it's a hard league. And you're going to go through games throughout the course of the season that don't taste good. And so yesterday left a terrible taste in all of our mouths. And the way to fix it is to work, you know, and, and to go back to work and address the things that we need to do better. Las Vegas Raiders color analyst Lincoln Kennedy joins Unnecessary Roughness right now on Raider Nation Radio. And pleased to have Big Lincoln on the show right now. It's always a pleasure. Lincoln, thanks so much for your time as always, my man. Before we get to the big elephant in the room, which is the Raiders' loss to the Bears, I got to give you a big round of applause, man. I saw the tweet from Washington Football. Congratulations to Lincoln Kennedy for being inducted to the Rose Bowl Game Hall of Fame. Hashtag Purple Rain. Well done, Lincoln. Well done. Thank you very much, Q. Good to be with you. How you doing, boss? I'm doing fantastic, man. How does that feel, though, to be inducted into the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame? 
Well, it's extremely humbling. I mean, uh, thinking about it, just going back to those days, I, I had the fortune of playing um, three in three Rose Bowl games, three straight Rose Bowl games, and and it was a good time. We had a good squad. We ended up having a share of the national title. So I look back on those days, and I'm very fond of those days. I mean, who wouldn't be fond of spending you know Christmas vacation in Southern California uh, all years in college? So uh, <laughs> one yeah. Freedom Bowl that was in Anaheim, and then three Rose Bowls. So times are good, and it's it's a very humbling honor when you think about the history of the Rose Bowl and how long the granddaddy of them all has been around. To be inducted into this Hall of Fame is very impressive and, and humbling. Yeah, it's awesome, man. When I saw that, I just I got a big smile on my face. And you, obviously, you know how I feel about you. You're a great dude. And so when Thank good you, things man. happen to great dudes, uh, that makes me excited. Speaking of Washington, I do want to ask you, what did you think about Michael Penix and, and what your alma mater is doing right now? Well, I mean, it's 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 rewarding. I mean, there's, there's so many years where they've been down to be talked about in a national conversation. I, I'm enjoying it, but I mean, they gave me a scare this past week against ASU, <laughs> so I'm finally getting over that and, and moving on. We'll see how the rest of the season pans out. But the last time I, I followed the team as closely as I am now is when it, back in 2016 when Chris Peterson took them to the Peach Bowl and they got smashed by Alabama down there in Atlanta. So I'm hoping if they make the playoff again, they, there's a better outing. Yeah, me too. And and I like Michael Penix a lot, man. I was rooting him on when uh they were playing against uh who was that? A Notre Dame a couple weeks ago or No, no, uh, Notre Dame played SC. So yeah. a couple weeks ago I, I think I'm not sure if you're talking about the the Cow or the Arizona game, but they just had ASU this past weekend. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I was I was telling my mom about Michael Penix. Keep an eye on him. He is a fantastic <laughs> young quarterback there at Washington. Again, Lincoln Kennedy is our guest here on Red Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Now we got to talk about the big elephant in the room. The Raiders lost to the Bears on on Sunday, Lincoln, I, I don't, I don't know where to start. When you're up there in the booth with Jason Horowitz, what were you thinking when you saw that performance? I, I, I thought it was going to be a long day, and it was a long day. Um, you know, the fact is, the Raiders could not stop the run, um, and 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 they're just giving up far too many yards on first down. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, extremely predictable, um, and, and that's how the pick six happened. You went back to the well way, way too many times, and so you know, I thought there was going to be a better, better outing out of Brian Hoyer. Um, but what I'm seeing right now through, and we're not even at the halfway, the halfway season part, part, midway season part, but what I'm seeing right now is I'm seeing, you know, understanding that the offensive line isn't what you want it to be. The protection might not be there. You're having to settle for short throws, but there's got to be a little bit more creativity that goes into the passing game because it's extremely basic, extremely simple, and that's why the Bears did a good job of shutting it down. Would that basic passing and how predictable it was, would that be more on where Brian Hoyer was comfortable throwing, or is that just the play that's called? Well, I mean, it's hard to, hard to say with, when you're not in the room. But, right. again, coaches coach, players play. So, and it comes up, you know, the quarterback is the most difficult position because you have to use your discretion. Your decision-makings are, are primo. I mean, that's what moves the football, um, when, when you know, how, how you hand it off when you throw the ball, those types of things. So, it, 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 you know, without having the privilege of sitting in the room, the quarterback room, to understand or see from that angle, it's really hard to quantify. All I know is that, you know, you, you had the time down the field. You, you marched down the field for the first series, and you missed a field goal, and it just seemed to be an off day from that point on. The Raiders could never get anything started, and that's, that's how the score turned out to be. You know, and I was sitting at my couch watching the game, so I wasn't there in the stadium, but it felt like from a distance that the energy and just the effort wasn't where it should have been. What did it feel like to you being there? Same, very same, but, but we've seen this before. Sometimes it takes this team, the Raiders, a, a little bit of time to get started, to kind of get their engine going, and I thought mm-hmm. they would be. Look, I, you know, Jason and I, we, we talked about this on the air. Looking at the roster from top to bottom name-wise, the Raiders had a better roster. 
Mm-hmm. The, the Bears are in rebuilding mode. However, the Raiders, you know, with the Achilles heel, the, 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 the thing that has stuck with them the most is the fact that they have problems stopping the run, which they do. And more importantly, they have problems winning on first down, which they continue to do. I mean, if, and, and both sides. If you're, if you're starting second down and 5Q or second down and 4, the advantage of getting another series of downs is already in your favor. You see what right. I'm saying? Even yeah. more so than starting, even more so than first and ten. So with all of that going on, what's the offense's responsibility? The offense's responsibility is to move the ball and score. Well, they can't do that because you don't have a lot of confidence in the offensive line. You don't have a running game. You don't have a number of things that other teams have or can take advantage of. Yes, you've got playmakers, but it seems to be a trying task to try to get the football to those playmakers. Yeah, it does. It seems like it's been a struggle all season long. I asked Coach McDaniels about that on Monday and asked Coach Lombardi about it today. It's just it's one of those things. It seems like it's never got jump-started, that offense. And I honestly think it starts with the run game, and uh, the struggles with the run game starts up front, right, with the offensive line? Absolutely. It starts up front. It starts up front with the offensive line, the communication, assignment, and always execution. I mean, the fact is that you can be you can call every play in the book that'll work, but if you don't go out there and execute it, you're not going to be able to get anything and and get anything done. And so that's what we've seen. And and look, it's we we've been talking like this now, Q, for a number of weeks. It yeah. seems like we're saying the same thing over and over again. But I will say this: yes, we are saying the same thing over and over again. No, you haven't got the results that you want. This is still a 500 team. Coming into the season, I thought the same thing. I thought it was a 500 team. I, I was hoping that we might have a formula to answer for Kansas City, and I, that, that is yet to be seen. When you look at the teeth of the schedule that we're coming into, mm-hmm. the second half of the schedule, it's not going to get any easier. It can get impressively harder. So the Raiders have got to find a way to play with more conviction, more energy, and go out there and find a way to take care of business and get wins. The, the three wins they have now have been hard to come by, obviously, uh, but it's not going to get any easier from the rest of the season. Lincoln Kennedy is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. We had one of our loyal listeners, Hardcore Raider. He asked me to ask you about the blocking scheme of the Raiders and how you've seen it change or if you've seen it change from what it was last year to what it is this year. As it changed, it's just what defensive made adjustments against okay. it. And the thing is, is that everybody has got to make adjustments. Just like they tell us when we're training, if you're not getting better, you're being passed by by somebody else. That's how it goes. So you, you, there's no way of riding an even plane throughout your career or throughout the season. People want to make adjustments on you or towards you, and you have to find a way to make adjustments to negate those adjustments so you can still be productive. That's where they are. From As far as the running game is concerned, well, it's, it's kind of twofold. You know, Jermaine Illuminor is a better zone blocker, and a zone blocking scheme, which blocks angles and blocks gaps rather than blocking man, than he is a man blocker. Thayer Munford is a better man blocking scheme, double teams at the point, power, counters, and those things, uh, than he is a zone blocker. So now you're playing that because you don't have a settled offensive line and you're switching out players or you know alternating players, now you don't have a, sta- a steady system in your running game that you can call and feel comfortable with. More importantly, the communication factor, you know, they did make – I did see something this past weekend in Chicago that I hadn't seen yet. It was more of a side adjustment. For the X or the Z to come in, whoever uh, is capable of moving in, in motion, to come in and side adjust towards that safety or that eighth man that's in the box that, that um, if the quarterback doesn't pick it up or doesn't bring him in, as long as no one else is moving in motion. So that's a good thing moving forward. That's an adjustment that needs to be made moving forward because there will be an eighth man in the box. 
Um, watching that Minnesota, you know, San Francisco game, Minnesota did the same thing to San Francisco. You know, mm-hmm. when they felt they were going to run the book, they they brought an eighth man in the box, eighth man in the box, and made it hard to you know get Christian McCaffrey going. He got it in the screen game and other places, but it made it hard on him getting his runs. I want to go back to the offensive line and the and the blocking scheme. Do you think a power blocking scheme or the zone blocking scheme is better for this team? It depends on what the personnel that you have. I've seen this team do both. Um, but again, when you so you you definitely need communication when you are man blocking, power okay. blocking. Okay? okay, you definitely need communication because the double teams have to assign who they're going up to. Uh, you know, we're blocking this defensive tackle to this backside linebacker or whatever you're calling that out. Zone, you're blocking an area. As long as everybody is in the same tandem, that creates those natural cutback lanes for running backs that you see every now and then. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you've got a backside pursuit. If you don't cut off that backside pursuit who's unblocked or you don't have something that's, that's taking that guy away, whether it be a naked fake or something, some other action which slows him down, they're going to make the tackle every time. And so that's where the zone scheme sort of gets negated, uh, if that makes sense. The yeah. big thing is that Josh Jacobs is making cuts as soon as he gets the football. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a better, more consistent level of execution on the offensive line to prevent penetration. All penetration kills every running play. And when you take conversely, you look at the Chicago Bears, we didn't get the same penetration. We had the same amount of people on, on the line of scrimmage. They played a very similar style of defense um, by covering up everybody where you're supposed to win your one-on-one matchups between your defensive line, your outside linebackers, and your offense, uh, their offensive line, and it didn't happen. They got blocked. They got blocked well. On an average, I think they were averaging almost six yards a carry. Right. Yeah, they were. They were. They were dominating. It blew my mind that they ran for 173 yards, knowing that that's what they were going to do. Like that yeah. was their game plan was yeah. to come in and run. And you thought that they would. Well, I thought that they would find a way to slow down the run game. Well, Lincoln, we've talked before about the power blocking scheme and the zone blocking. What does the CBA have to do with why more teams aren't doing the majority of the power blocking? Because you can't. You can't practice that much. In order to 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 harness and to perfect power blocking or man blocking schemes. You got to have pads, right? And you got to fight. You got to hit, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's where you hear about the drills: nine on seven, one on one, three on three, all that stuff. That's where all those drills came from. You got to hit. Offensive linemen need to be conditioned with pads on to hit defensive linemen, you know, comparable uh, uh, size and strength as them, and they have to learn how to push people. They have to learn how to work together. With right. the CBA, the current CBA, it's impossible to have that commit that many hours to padded practices, mm. which I think is a disservice because this is their business. Right. But that's why teams that don't have a solid running game can't necessarily jumpstart one. If you don't have it, it's probably not going to happen that season. Right. No, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, again, I thought that was a great question that Hardcore Raider had just talking about the offensive line. And uh, I think that I've always been a fan of uh, the power blocking scheme. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I don't feel like the Raiders have had a dominant offensive line since really when you were on the offensive line. And then there was that stretch where, you know, it was it was Donald Penn and, you know, Rodney Hudson. And But it seems like the right side has been a question for years now. Well, the right side has been the biggest question mark, at least since the time I started doing this, which was 2014, 2015, something like that. Yeah. Every year, the right side has been up in shambles, and the right tackle question has not been answered. Um, I don't even know if the right guard uh, question is answered with Van Roten, but right. the fact is they've, they've got to find a way to, to – well, they, you know what, here's the thing. I will give the Raiders somewhat some credit because they tried to address the problem over the past couple of years. Yeah. They, and, and, you know, when they drafted Alex Leatherwood, no one could foresee that Alex Leatherwood would be a mental case. 
right. and he's not even in the league. I mean, he wasn't playing for the Bears, so I don't even know if he's still in the league. Um, with, with that being said, you can't foresee that. That's why the draft is always a crapshoot. But there's also the fact you look here, there's out of the, the offensive lines, the good, highly graded offensive lines in the National Football League, you look how they dressed it through draft or free agency, but look also how long those lines have been consistently staying together. That's the that's the the, the 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 formula for success for offensive line. The longer you keep them together, the better they'll play together. And back in my day, we were able to keep offensive lines together for quite some time. Lincoln Kennedy is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So, uh, obviously, the, the Raiders did not have a good showing on Sunday versus the Bears. What will we learn about them? What should we learn about them with their performance coming up on Monday against the Lions? Well, you can only hope that they'll be, they'll be show a little bit more heart and vigor and, 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 and confidence when they go out and take on the Lions. The Lions are a substantially better team than the Bears are. Yeah. So this could, this could get very nasty. Um, you know, also, I think somebody had, had – um, tweeted me or text me during the game, you know, the Raiders notoriously play down in their competition. Well, you can kind of make that argument about ever, just about everybody. Um, if you don't have the stability uh, and the foundation for certain players, like, for example, you're going in with a backup quarterback. You know, in this case, in the Bears' case, it was a 15-year veteran, and then Aiden O'Connell finished. I still think the future is, uh, it will consist of Aiden O'Connell, but you still got to get him used to playing NFL speed. That timing factor that he, you know, he's, he only showed a little bit in preseason, but preseason is a little bit different because it's very vanilla and very generic. You have the time to sit back there and survey and go through your progressions. With this offensive line, in this league, and the players they're playing against, you don't have that. You don't have that that ability. Right. I thought Brian Hoyer was the right decision. Obviously, it didn't work out for the Raiders, but I thought it was the right decision going into the game. And at some point, if Jimmy G misses another one, I expect to see Aiden O'Connell out there. Well, Lincoln, we'll close out with this, and we look forward to talking to you on Thursday already, but uh, we'll close out with this. There was a lot of missed tackles or, or poor effort when it comes to tackles on the Raiders' defensive side of things. How do you clean that up? I mean, even in practice, Patrick Graham talked about it today, but it's just practice, and that's what you've been doing all year. You know what? I will say this, and, and I've, I've said it before. I'll, I'll try to put it a different way. You know, this game is 90% mental, 10% physical. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, the guys that are playing this game right now all have the physical attributes to play this game. They have shown times that they have the mental capacity to absorb and address this game, adjust to this game. But when you're out there, it's just like blocking. It's all about desire. When you're out there, you want to make a tackle, you'll make a tackle. If you want to half-ass about it or just go about it with a sort of lackadaisical way, you're probably not going to make the tackle. You'll probably get trucked or embarrassed. Same thing goes for blocking. Yeah. If I just go through the motions, hey, this guy's going to run right by me and sack the quarterback. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so the, those are the things. It's all about desire, and that's what's most disappointing. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what's most disappointing about the effort we saw this past Sunday is because we expected them to be better. You just won two games. And you had to fight to win those two games. Well, you're going to have to fight to win every game because it's National Football League. But we would like to see a little bit more inspired play when you're trying to make those tackles, when you're trying to make those blocks. We want to see you get fired up. You don't see that type of emotion out there. Right. Yep. No, you're right. You're right. Max, Max brings the effort. He brings the energy. He brings the emotion. And that was about it on Sunday against yeah. the Bears. And that was disappointing. Well, Lincoln, it's always great to catch up with you, man. We love your insight. Again, congratulations on the Rose Bowl game Hall of Fame. That's a huge honor. We're so proud of you. And uh, we look forward to talking to you on Thursday. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. There he goes, the great Lincoln Kennedy with us. Great nuggets right there. Great knowledge. You want to you get fired up? Go on and rewind that. 
Just do yourself a favor, man. Do something good for your country is what I like to say. Go on and run that back, man. Ari, you want to get fired up in the morning? You want to get fired up? You want to find something to get you up out of bed and, and, and fired up? Just go on and run that back, man. Have that on the loop when you wake up. Like, don't let that be your alarm clock, right? You, you Just have the part where Lincoln says, you either want to do it or you want to half-ass it, right? And what is it going to be? Ari, is it going to be a half-ass day or is it going to be a go hard in the paint day? Let's go. You know I'm going hard in the paint. <laughs> Why are you trying to put some bass in your voice when you say that? <laughs> I'm trying to be like Lincoln. Here. <laughs> you I'm know I'm going six, six to go right you. now. <laughs> That was fantastic. Get that me on was the field. fantastic. There you go. I'll tell you, I like that right there. I'm going to use that for an alarm. No, I don't need an alarm clock. I I wake up on accident, man. I wake up on accident. The wife gets mad at me. She's like, if you don't shut the hell up, it ain't even time to get up yet. I'm already waking up. I wake up out of bed. Boom! She wake up and she's like, what in the wrong, what's wrong with you? Take yourself back to bed. 348 is the time. Many thanks to Lincoln Kennedy. We appreciate him. Awesome stuff from Lincoln, as always. Got a ton of text to get to. We'll do it next as we close out our two of the show. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Got a text on our don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword r r has been blowing up today. We appreciate the feedback. Jay in Vegas said, how is Lincoln Kennedy not an offensive line coach for the Raiders? If he doesn't want to do it, it's one thing, but if he does, hire that man in all caps. And, Jay, I'm with you. And, no, he said he doesn't. <laughs> he said he doesn't want to be be uh, in coaching. If he does, he'd probably start out in high school. Uh, but he's not, he's, not a, he's not a guy that wants to – be an offensive line coach for the silver and black. But I'll tell you what, I understand why you say that. I suggested that to him, I think, a couple weeks ago because every time we have him on, and I promise you every time, I either get a text, I get a call, someone will hit me up when they see me in the streets like, hey, man, tell Big Lincoln he needs to be the offensive line coach, this, that, and the other. And you know what? I promise you he'd do a phenomenal job. He would get on their helmets and he would, man, he would have them doing what they're supposed to do. There's no doubt. But I absolutely understand <laughs> the reason of not wanting to be that guy. It's similar to when John Gruden took over the second time and all the reports were out that John, that uh, Rich Gannon was going to be the quarterback coach. And I remember him saying that he was even offered the job and he was like, hey, there's, you know, I, there's just too much responsibility that goes into that. I, I want to spend time with my family and I want this, that, and the other. So he didn't do it. But there's certain players that you look at you're like, man, or former players, you're like, those guys would be really good at what they do. I could definitely see Lincoln as a phenomenal offensive line coach. And, hell, who knows? It could evolve into more than just offensive line as far as I'm concerned, right? I mean, just, just his whole mentality and the way he, he articulates the game and breaks it down. I'll tell you what, if he told me to run through that wall, I'd run through the, I'd at least try to run through that wall. I might not get far. <laughs> he might tell me at Allegiant Stadium when he sees me next, Q, I need you to run through that wall. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I might, <laughs> I might run into the wall and then fall flat on my back. Someone called 911 where they say, we need a medic. Get a medic. Q's out. Down for the count. He tried, to, he tried to run through that wall for one Lincoln Kennedy. But how could you not? How could you not? Right? I remember my coach, man, when I was 31 years old, I was an old man. I'm starting to be an old man, at least in football terms. 31, and, and that coach had me fired up every practice. Every practice I shine. Now in the game, it was a different story. <laughs> I was great in practice. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about a whole lot in practice, but I was great. 
Now, a game? You're talking about a game? <laughs> Not practice? <laughs> it's a different story. But, man, he used to have me fired up, man. I used to want to run through every wall during practice. Then during the game, something went wrong, man. The lights went on. I was in reverse, right? Some guys, they are terrible in practice, and they're good during the game when the lights are on. Yeah, when the lights are on, I was like, yeah, I'm not so good. During practice, I was phenomenal, man. I was a Hall of Fame practice guy. <laughs> I sure was. 3.55 is the time. We'll come back, kick off hour number three. We'll hear from defensive coordinator Patrick, uh, Patrick Graham and Mick Labarty, the OC. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness here on LVSportsNetwork.com, brought to you by Porta Subs.